Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Bobby and Jens. My name is Bobby Julik, and I am currently in a Volvo dealership since 7 a.m., and currently it is 4.30 p.m., because I got a flat tire driving to the airport, and um, evidently premium cars do not come with full-size spares anymore. But the, the great GM here, Jared Sandler from Dyer and Dyer Volvo, let me take over his conference room so I'm able to make this uh, podcast work. So that's my story. On the other side of the Atlantic, just fresh off the Giro commentating. He looks a little disheveled. You know, he was five hours in front of a TV screen minimum today. Jens Volkta. Jensi, how are you feeling, brother? I'm feeling actually pretty good. It's an exciting Giro so far. Working here for Eurosport, commentating on the race. And I'm in a hotel and I can sleep in my own bed and I don't have to walk the dogs at night and in the mornings and I don't have to collect the dog pool in the garden. So it's even though I work for five to six hours a day just talking, talking, talking about cycling, it still almost feels like a wellness spa treatment holiday for me to be working here for Eurosport. So I will not complain at all about my job. Okay, you said you're sleeping in your own bed, but you're in a hotel. But what you really mean is that when you're at home, you have to share the bed with not only your wife, but, you know, what, dogs, rabbits, kids, what's the, all of the above? Indeed. And sometimes when I'm like late and then I go, well, the bed is full. Where's that supposed to sleep? And then they just laugh at me and point at the ground next to the bed. <laughs> Can you imagine? And you think your kids love you, but no, they just laugh at you <laughs> from the bottom of their heart. They're just laughing their heads off and pointing to the ground next to the bed. Well, daddy, you can stay down there. There's enough space next to the dog. So oh, yeah, man. life is easier when you travel actually sometimes. Yep, yep. Uh, it's been a while since we've traveled and we're starting to do that again, which is, uh, yeah, hotel rooms. I stayed in hotel rooms more in this last week than I've stayed in uh, the last year and a half. So I, I feel what you're saying. You know, you can keep the, the temperature in the room the way that you want it. You can have the fan on or off. You can uh, have the TV on or off. Um, fantastic. Anyway. So today we have a, a really cool guest uh, from a career on the road that seemed a birthright. Peter Stetna has been there and done that all the way from the juniors up to the Grand Tours. But after suffering a horrific injury in 2015, he reinvented himself as one of the first to embrace the alternative calendar of bicycle racing. He's taken it to another level recently in 2020 as a self-proclaimed privateer racer and seems to be happier than ever. Jens and I sat down with Pete, and I think you will enjoy this interview just as much as we did. All right, here we go. Pete Stetna on Bobby and Jens. Welcome, Pete Stetna. Thank you. I've uh, been waiting for this call. This is nice. It's good to reconnect. <laughs> You're 33 now, but like knowing you and your name, your family name for so long. Um, give us a little bit of intro into what it was like having the last name Stetna in Boulder, Colorado. I mean, your your dad won the Chorus Classic. Your uncle won the Chorus Classic. Your grandfather raced. Um, I know, I think you have a couple more uncles. But yeah, what was, 
What was that introduction to cycling like, having that last name Stetna? Uh, well, first of all, you know, I think uh, the more important question is the intro of the reconnection with Bobby and Jens. Um, Bobby, you know, you were my coach when I first joined BMC. And so we like talked every day for years. Yenzi, we raced against each other a lot. And then you were the kind of like a Trek ambassador as I had signed for Trek. So it's kind of fun to, to reconnect the circles in a different realm. But uh, as far as, as the Stetna name, um, yeah, it definitely is a, an American cycling family, I guess. Um, a lot of people think I kind of got pushed into the sport uh, that could not have been further from the truth. I was playing soccer as a kid. I was a runner. Um, and then once I kind of found the bike on my own, just living in Boulder, Colorado, growing up there, it's, you know, it's so popular. Then uh, there had, I had all that family background to kind of rely on. So, you know, whether it's coaching advice from my dad or my uncle or, you know, my uncle worked for Shimano. So it was easy to get kind of like blem parts, you know, parts that had like a scuff that a consumer had returned that, you know, they could just kind of pass down to me to, to get my bikes sorted. Um and, and yeah, so it was, it was, a it was, it was a nice way to kind of have an introduction and the name definitely carried some weight in certain circles, but, uh, no pressure, definitely found the sport on my own. So right around the time that you were born, your dad was the coach of the junior Seven Eleven team, which growing up as a kid in Colorado, the Seven Eleven Jolly Rancher team was it. And yeah. somehow I got your dad's attention. I got Jim Okowitz's attention. Uh, by winning the fourteen fifteen road race in uh, on the Morgul Bismarck circuit, actually, and your dad actually came to my mm -hmm. living room and fit me for my first bicycle, and that was um, yes, Sorota <laughs> was the the frame, but uh, Huffy was the the sponsor. So when I got that bike, your dad fitted me and I still have that bike by the way, and I'll never let it go. It's, it's so cool. Wow. Unfortunately, the, the teams, the multiple junior teams, I think they had three in 1987 and then condensed that into one in 1998. So never got to really work with your dad after that, but it was pretty cool, you know, working with you, watching you grow up and then knowing that, gosh, you know, your dad definitely played a part in in uh, getting me into bike racing and actually fit me for my first bike so that was that was pretty awesome um so um i can only imagine that you know my my dad in your bike fit i can just i can see it now the okay little bobby close your eyes and and think deep in your soul does this feel right does it feel natural <laughs> you know it's uh, this is pretty science so i can I, I can only imagine man but i'm glad it worked out <laughs> And you got started with the TIAA CREF team, correct? That was the junior junior team that Jonathan started right after he, he retired? Yeah, it was actually in 2003, it was called 5280 Subaru. And there was six Colorado junior and under 23s. I was one of the juniors. Um, and then it became TIAA CREF the year after. But yes, I was... Uh, homegrown and came from JV's little Colorado junior team all the way to the world tour. Yeah. So. Yeah, you did. You stayed with that organization for a while. And, um, then you moved on to BMC and, and Trek State mm -hmm. Refredo before, uh, switching over in, in 2020. But, um, yeah, let's, let's, before we like get into, you know, where you are now, 
Um, mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about your journey through the world tour. I mean, you did, what, eight, nine grand tours. Right. You were pro for, for quite a while on some of the biggest teams. Tell us a little bit mm-hmm. about your, your ups and downs in, during that period. Yeah, you know, I basically, um, I turned pro, you know, I did juniors with Vodder's junior program under 23 team, did some national team stuff, classic development pipeline story. Um, and when I came out of the under 23s, I topped right into to the pro tour team, which was, I think by then called, uh, Chipotle, Garmin, uh, Garmin Cervelo, Slipstream, you know, that, that whole, what is now EF. Um, and, uh, I did four years there. Uh, I did, uh, I was kind of a, an up and coming American climber. Um, I, uh, did a bunch of Giro d'Italia's. I was part of riders team that won the Giro in 12. That was, uh, definitely a big part of my career and a learning experience. Um, I had some really nice spring results in 2013 and I, uh, had switched over to BMC, uh, where I had linked up with you. Um, you are my coach for the 14 season. Um, things were going really well and, uh, and things were just continuing to trend up. You know, I had done the tour de France in 14 with BMC. Um, you know, I still had, I had quite a few dreams in the world tour. Um, and then my career took a pretty, pivotal turn in 2015. Um, I have that, uh, what has pretty been pretty well documented for anyone that really wants to dive, you know, we could talk an hour on it, but that, uh, that broken leg, uh, from the tour of the Pays Basco, the tour of the Basque country. Um, the, the very short version is, uh, hit, hit a metal pole with my kneecap in a bunch sprint, uh, exploded the kneecap, cracked the entire tibia, five ribs, LCL, critical condition in the Spanish hospital for a couple of weeks, uh, was a lot of people wrote me off, thought my career was done. Um, you know, I, I had to relearn to walk, uh, but, and I was on a contract year. So, uh, I kind of pushed the envelope in terms of recovery. Um, and I used all the tools at my disposal with all the sports scientists that supported, uh, cycling and BMC. Um, And I made a comeback and Trek at the time said, uh, you know what, if, if you can, if you've been able to already make a comeback, then we believe in you. So we're going to give you a, uh, a lifeline contract for you to prove yourself again. Um, and in 2016, I joined Trek, uh, did a full season with them, made the tour team, all that, and spent another three years with them before, uh, this latest career move. So, you know, I think, uh, it definitely transitioned the way my career went. I was definitely never the same athlete physically and mentally, um, more mentally. I think, um, I decided to certain priorities switch when you do have a life changing moment like that, I think. Um, but, uh, honestly where I am now, I'm, I'm so happy all of it's happened. And, and like this, this whole move to what I'm doing now is it's the best thing I've ever done. So, yeah, that's that's my world tour thing in a nutshell. Um, yeah, I, I never I never had the, I was never the big winner, which is fine. Um, I was known as a climbing domestique in the high mountains and late in the the grand tours. You know, I got to do riders thing. I was really close with Molama, 
at Trek. Uh, I got to do Contador's final Vuelta and be a part of that team, trying to take down Froomey and the Sky team. Um, so it was, it was a lot of fun. And I did a decade doing that. So was it like a, a sudden decision or an instant decision to move to gravel? Or was it like a slow process that started years ago in your head? And do you remember what moment, what time it was that you went, look, I think gravel is my future? Um, it was very much a, a slow thought out process. I mean, you guys know once you're trained to like go to the world tour, like this is the pinnacle. You want to stay here. This means you're legitimate, right? This is what you know is the best. And, um, I think the seeds were kind of sown, you know, if, if I look back through a, a few years, you know, uh, for example, I had, created a Grand Fondo around Lake Tahoe where I live part-time. And it was all for charity to the charity that I supported is a charity that helps injured athletes overcome life-changing injuries. And it was kind of my way to give back. And um, I had a team manager sit down during contract time and say, I don't want to see anything about Grand Fondos. This is projects for retired riders. You need to focus. And so there was already a little bit of like the what, what the fuck kind of thing. Um, but It, it was, it was, it was a slow seed. And then 2019, it was really just this process through the entire year. You know, I did this Belgian waffle ride, which is probably the second biggest gravel race. Um, and, and I won it and the media that I saw from it and the attention was just, it blew me away. I was not expecting any of that. And then I went to uh, dirty Kanza, which is now called unbound. That's the biggest race. Um, And I got second and, and my team at the time, Trek Segafredo, uh, Trek marketing confided in me that that was like those two gravel events were some of their biggest marketing booms for the entire year, uh, outside of a few, uh, grand tour results. Like it was a lot bigger than what a lot of the world tour team had done. Um, and so that just kind of got the, the ball spinning in terms of this makes sense. Like there's something here. Um, and, and it was. That was, that was kind of the, 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 the beginning of, of that thought. Yeah, you were definitely uh, right in the mix when that alternative race program that you know now is pretty well known just kind of started. But I, I have to admit, you know, seeing you come back, I think it was you, you finished Liège, best on Liège, and then went straight into the Belgian Waffle Ride and won it, then went to Kansas, um, now called Unbound, got second, then did Leadville, And yeah. man, it was just like, holy cow, this, this, this is possible. This, this is not only possible, but yeah. like, why wouldn't more teams do this? And then, you know, I think it was that year or the next year when Jonathan Vodders kind of made it part of the program, you know, for guys like, like Taylor Finney and, and Lachlan Morton. And, and now it's, now it's pretty accepted, right? Like, You know, you have yeah. guys um, at your level coming in and doing these races. But um, one of the things that I've always wanted to ask about, you know, switching from road to gravel or off-road um, alternative calendar is why gravel, man? It's harder than road racing. It's dirtier. And you have to wash your bike after each ride. I mean, at least that's what I learned. <laughs> um I, I'm with you. I, I mean, I have, uh, I, I've changed more tires and sealed more tires in like the last the 15 months than I have in my entire road career before. <laughs> like, you know, the day before, uh, 
Unbound in 2019, I was like, Keel and I were actually trying to flat our tires so we could like figure out how to do the Dyna plugs and seal them. You know, you have like the plugs that you shove into the tire, kind of like a, a car fix. Um, and uh, it's really, it was, it was the lifestyle. Um, that's what drew me. It wasn't the money or fame. I mean, that is not what gravel is. It was the fact that there was so much attention here that I feel like I could get sponsored. I mean, cause so the end of the end of the day, I want to get paid to do bikes. I'm still competitive. I love racing and I, I, I just want to race my bike and, and have a lot of fun doing it. And, you know, whereas the world tour, you know, I was starting to admittedly, admittedly flame out a bit with the travel and all the time from home. I was kind of like, well, you know, I could race more domestically. I mean, gravel's bigger in the U S at the moment. Um, and I can be unapologetically me. I can, I don't have to hide the fact that I want to have a beer after the race and, and, you know, have a campfire party with people. So it was, it was just kind of this lifestyle move for the most part. Um, and it was really funny about that whole move, like where, you know, Trek myself and, and EF kind of did it at the, the same season. Um, I never, Alex House is one of my best friends and we never actually spoke about it. It was, I had independently tre pitched Trek on this idea and then all of a sudden EF were doing it on this side. Um, so it, it definitely highlighted gravel to the world calendar uh, or sorry, the, the world tour system. Um, and I think it made it okay and more commonplace for you start seeing these teams like Alpes and Phoenix. I mean, okay, Matthew Vanderpool is an amazing athlete and he's just an anomaly, but you see Tom Pidcock doing uh, the mountain bike stuff right now. And I think teams are accepting that the multidiscipline thing is, is okay again. Um, and a little bit pedaling a bike is still pedaling a bike, no matter what terrain you're on. Um, so it's, it's been cool to see the world tour open its mind to that a little bit. Um, what I yeah. also noticed is uh, I only did one time uh, Unbound, the old uh, Dirty Kenza. Mm -hmm. um, and what I felt is there's more freedom and less structure, right? In a pro yes. tour, uh, the world tour race, you basically tell you what to eat and when to breathe and when to pedal. And at that yeah. race, it's more like, like you say, campfire uh, party, you know, and once we finished uh, that race, Nobody left. We stayed there until midnight to welcome everybody else coming in. And of course, you had a beer and you had like whatever, a sausage or a hot dog, whatever you, you liked. Um, and it is, it's still serious and tough racing. Don't get me wrong, right? But it's oh, in yeah. the same way, a little more relaxed. And um, yeah, it's more individual, right? It's, it's, it's a I, little bit I a different of, world. Yeah. I, I kind of view it as... Um, gravel scene is still it's it's more it's the community and uh and the fun is on the same level as the racing you can't put one above the other and it, it's kind of like you know you can be a person who happens to race your bike instead of a bike racer that happens to be a human if, if that makes sense you know it's not everything is not just for the pure pursuit of speed that said It is, like you said, you put a number on our backs. It's still a race regardless. Everyone's doing the best they can, and they want to push themselves to the limit. Uh, but it's, it's about celebrating that afterwards. 
I've experienced the world of gravel um, just a couple times, but I saw it right away that there's a, a different vibe, a different feeling. But to go back a little bit, um, you know, you mentioned your your crash and kind of had that in my notes, but I didn't really know if we wanted to talk about that. So, but since you brought it up, and then you know Taylor Finney having a very similar crash the year before, um, mm. both of you guys came out of this in such a different mindset, and you know working with both yeah. of you and seeing that that transition and seeing that just change in mentality and both taking to the gravel. Um, it seems therapeutic. I mean, we're, we're always out there on the road, you know, to go kilometer to go signs, people on the side of the road, feed zones. But, you know, I, I was out of the sport for a while, you know, when I was coaching and then recently got into it. And I really did find gravel as, as that therapeutic, um, fun thing. And the community, I was a little bit nervous when I went to my first gravel event, which was the Spirit World 100 down in Patagonia. And if anybody oh yeah, questions, Xander and Heidi are amazing people. Yeah, absolutely. They 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 were open, you know, welcome me with open arms. But I was a little bit nervous, being like, is there going to be a stigma? Like, I enjoy this more than I do road riding right now. But because of what I did, and man, they didn't care. I mean, it was it was like. It didn't matter what clothing you wore, if you had a mustache or a beard or a ponytail or a costume. It was all about just having fun. And I wasn't very fit at that time, so I selected to do the, the shorter event, which was a 62-mile instead of the 100-miler. But when I got done, mm -hmm. I was kicking myself for not doing the 100-miler because we're sitting there you know, having tacos, having beer. Like you said, not leaving. We're sitting there waiting and watching the race and seeing all these great participants finish. And that's what really drew me and draws me to um, gravel and off-road racing is that the community seems to be just so much more accepting. It doesn't matter what you're wearing or what bike you have. It's just that mm -hmm. you're participating. And, and, and I like that part of the sport. And maybe I'm, I'm just getting older, but I wish that you know, I had that opportunity to kind of switch gears. And instead of, you know, coming back to the States and, you know, staying on my road bike and, um, you know, training up at altitude in, in Tahoe, that maybe doing some gravel races, doing some mountain bike races just to keep it fresh. I think that's really going to help the longevity of the, this, this current generation is switching it up a little bit. You know, like you said, you're still pedaling a bicycle. A bicycle is a bicycle regardless, you know, if it's on dirt or on, on, on pavement. But I, mm -hmm. I do think there's that mental switch and, you know, seeing that in you and Taylor, um, did you guys ever discuss, you know, not only the extent of your injury, but then your transition and love for, for, for gravel riding? Um, you know, we didn't discuss it directly, but we've kind of alluded to it through, you know, just friendly texts and stuff. Basically, you know, Taylor and Mai's accidents were so similar and they were so life-changing that I feel it, it's almost like the pandemic. I think everyone can relate. You saw everyone hunker down when you have to go through something really hard. Everyone kind of reacts a different way, um, you know, and and they come out of it in a different way. Um, you know, for me, I was on a contract year. I wanted to prove I deserved to stay there. 
it was, you know, I was kind of like my back was against the wall a little bit. And I like I doubled down in terms of trying to be a pro rider, whereas Taylor, you know, he kind of got a little bit more introspective and he found art, um, you know, so we both kind of went different ways there at the beginning. Um, but I think we both kind of appreciated that the aspect and what the bike has given us a lot more. Um, and so there have been those conversations since just like, dude, it looks like you are having so much fun. Like this is, it's good to see you doing this. And, and it's been reciprocal from, from both ends. Um, and you know, as, as far as, as the gravel community, uh, just supporting and not having, a uh, pre-existing ideas about you, you know, that's, it's super refreshing here. A funny story is, um, in 2019, I did the Leadville 100. Um, and you know, I wanted to try to do well. There's, you know, it's one of the top, I mean, it's a mountain bike race, but it's gravel style, right? It's the same. You could maybe even call it the original gravel race if you really, really wanted to. Um, but, uh, you know, I wanted to start at the front and try to go for a result with, with the fast guys and the pros. Um, and in Leadville, you have to qualify for your, your start corral to be closer to the front. <laughs> and I, I totally was, I emailed them. I totally played that pro card. Like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm coming from the world tour. I want to highlight your race. You know, can you, you know, let me get up near the front? Like I promised my legs will back that up. And I respect them so much for this, but they were like, yeah, we don't care. Like your shit still stinks. <laughs> And they were like, you have to prove your start corral. So I didn't do the tour in 2019. I, um, I was home and I did one of their qualifier races in Tahoe. And you have to like hit certain times for certain races to like get your, you know, your, your seed yourself higher. And I had this bike mechanical. I had to run for 20 minutes and I did not win the race by any means, but I made like the gold corral, the front corral qualifying time by like two minutes. And they were like, and I emailed them like, here's my result. And they're like, okay, welcome to the gold corral, which I actually, I respect the hell out of that, you know? So it's, it's pretty refreshing. Um, you know, the, uh, the unbound organizers have said that they've had pros like email them their Wikipedia page and they're like, yeah, you're not invited. We don't care. <laughs> so. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> oh boy. Summer is just around the corner. And if you're looking for some help getting back into shape, don't worry, Active Pass from outside has you covered. Bobby and myself are both members and get to enjoy training plans, exclusive gear discounts, entry to cycling events and more, including access to premium content from other outside publications like Velo News, Trail Runner, Yoga Journal and Backpacker. And there's more coming soon, including Peloton Magazine. All in all, it's $350 worth of value for just $99. But if you enter our special coupon code BOBBYENS25 at checkout, you will get another 25% off. Go to valuenews.com slash activepass and enter BOBBYENS25, all one word, lowercase, at checkout to receive our special 25% discount. So uh, Peter, now you seem to smile a lot and seem to be happy. Would you say you're happier now than back in the days with the world to racing or would it be unfair to your old life? Um, I'm happier. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, and I would not trade my world tour days for anything. I mean, it's because of, you know, where I came from that I'm kind of able to have this angle in gravel right now as, you know, the world tour pro coming in to race gravel, right? Like that's kind of my, my brand, I guess. Um, and, and I had to experience all those things and have that background to do what I'm doing now effectively. But, um, you know, in the world tour, I always, you know, I kind of treated it like a job. I mean, it was, you know, if I was at training camp in Europe, you know, I was not doing like the, the lame miles and, and like some of the social things at night because, you know, I was just like, you know what, if I'm going to have some beers and stuff, like I want to do it at home with family. Like I'm here to work. This is almost a work trip. And the world tour, as you guys know, it is so freaking hard. Like you have to fight for every little percent to be at your best. Otherwise you're dropped. And, uh, for me, I mean, I was probably not the, uh, the most, I mean, I wasn't unfriendly. I don't think anyone says I was an asshole, but you know, it was just like, my back was always against the wall. Like I was always worried about, you know, a contract or, you know, a race result or getting sick or, you know, a selection for a race. And here I can just kind of do whatever I want. I can pitch my sponsors on stupid ideas between races and, and they like it and, and that kind of stuff. So I am happier now. Well, you kind of um, pioneered that idea of being a privateer racer. So mm. in the world tour, your bike shows up, your clothing shows up, your schedule shows up, your plane tickets, your hotel, your training schedule, everything. Now, on top of training, you're having to do all those things, plus find sponsors, come up with new ideas, be active on social media. I mean, man, it just seems like there's not enough hours in the day to do this sort of thing. How, how was that transition going from such a, uh, a catered to lifestyle to basically, hey, you know, it's, it, it's all on my shoulders now. I got to make this work. It is... It is hard, you know, like we kind of said before you started recording, the hustle is real and it is, um, it's like starting a new business. You know, you have to put in so much work on the front end um, and just it, but at the same time you own it, it's your own project and it lives and dies by you. There is not a team manager that is making a decision about your life at the end that you have no, you know, power over. Um, it is, it is hard. And I've had to kind of rethink about it where in the world tour, like, like we said, you know, your, your body is your job. Like you have to focus about pedaling the bike as fast as you can. Um, honestly here training is only 50% of it. And I am pulling 7am to 8pm days all week this week with, you know, there's, um, interviews of Canyon dropped their new gravel bike today, which I was doing photo shoots for there's, uh, editorial pieces. I have a column on Bello news and, you know, so there's so many different other aspects that go into, and like you said, the logistics of building the race calendar, budgeting it, you know, deciding, um, sponsor contracts, you know, all those, those obligations, it's, it's all on me. But, um, like I said, it's just, it's, it's all things that I've decided to take on myself and it, it all kind of makes sense. It all fits. So, and that's actually been maybe more fun than even the racing is I've really gotten interested in the business of cycling, right? Like how your brand fits and how you can highlight sponsors with certain personal stories and 
And that whole idea around it is actually a lot more interesting and something that, you know, we as pros never really had to do. You know, you had your team PR person tell you, hey, Yenzi, you know, I, I need an interview from you with Eurosport at this time. And, you know, you're just kind of brought in and brought out. And there was never any of that idea around the back end of uh, the angle and, and all that stuff. So it's been it's been eye opening for sure. So what do you think? In your world tour days, what did prepare you for your place in life right now? And what did you miss as a world tour uh, rider? Like physically, were you strong enough? The training and racing, did that prepare you for gravel racing? Or was there any bits and parts missing in your physical or mental preparation compared to now the gravel scene? Um. I think the biggest thing I, I gained from the world tour was besides the depth, right? I mean, as you guys know, once you do one grand tour, your physiology changes and you can handle more, but, um, it was keeping, and I would say this for anybody, it's the cycling world is small, keep good relationships. You know, I have, for example, sportful, I was friends with them and their, their sister company Castelli back in 2011, I did a photo shoot. We always stayed in touch. And so Nine years later in 2020, when I was headed off to do my own thing, I, it, was a, it was an email saying, I believe in this. I want to do this. Do you guys want to join? And it was just, yes, immediately. So, I mean, and guys are, you know, people are always jumping from company to company within the industry too. So don't burn bridges. I mean, this sport is way too small to fight, right? Um, in terms of the, the physiology, um, my body has changed for sure. Um, I, it's less about, you know, like that high end threshold and that, that VO2 power, right? Like those big spikes that make the race break apart on the road. And it's much more, they call it gravel grinding for a reason. You know, it's, it's, you would have been, you, if you focused only on this, Yenzi, you would have been one of the best for sure. I mean, you were one of the best on road too, but you know, it was, it's like breakaway riding. It's riding at 300 Watts all day for five hours. And you still need to make that attack at the end to break the race. Um, so my body has changed that way. I feel like if I went back to the world tour now, I'd be a much better breakaway rider, but for sure, like following on the, the climbs in the final in, in like the Peloton, I don't cut I don't have like that same burst. So it's, it's just, it's changed a little bit. One thing that I think is important to mention here is, you know, we're talking a lot about the actual individuals doing these events, but from the outside to me, it's, the promoters that have done these events for years and years and years and just had little participation, but they've got an amazing history and they all seem to work. Those promoters all really seem to get along and, and work well together. And, and I think, you know, we all need to take our hats off to them because they, they were doing this before it was cool. Now it's cool. And, you know, they're, they're getting their, their due respect. But do you feel yes. that, that, the respect and the togetherness that the promoters have. Do you feel that the your competition, the other riders, kind of have that same feeling between them? Like, you know, it, because in the world tour, it's super competitive. You know, you could be best friends with a guy, you know, he or you leave the team and then you're, you're arch enemies. But the way that those promoters work together, you know, regardless of, you know, the events happening or not, um, do, do the gravel riders, you know, your kind of core group of, you know, the best gravel guys, do they, do you guys support each other or is there, is there always that, you know, 
kind of competition between between you all? Um, as far as the riders, it's a very friendly competition. Uh, you know, I'll get pe- messages from Colin Strickland or Payson McKelvin just being like, oh, dude, that was a nice one. Like, nice move on that video or that FKT or, um, you know, we we want to see each other succeed because we all do realize that we are helping to grow this, this new discipline together. And, and us as riders, you know, we can help highlight it to cycling media and, and fans that do care about the race part of it. Um, but you know, that's very true about the organizers. I mean, these guys, they're just doing it for the passion and they're lucky to have a job now. And I was really struck by, getting to meet, I've, I've really made a point to meet all these organizers and, you know, I, I have their, their number in my cell phone and I can check in with them on their COVID policy or, you know, how they're moving about things. And, and they're all friends. You know, I saw, I was got to be a little part of this one gravel summit thing, uh, pre COVID and the organizers of SBT and DK and mid South are all drinking tequila shots together and divulging their secrets. And they all want to see this thing grow, right? It's, it's very, uh, organic and, and everyone kind of realizes that if we lift this thing up together, then it is so much stronger than, than infighting. Um, so that was, it's powerful. Um, and the racers, we're more or less friends. I am very close friends with um, uh, Colin Strickland, Ian Boswell, Amanda Nauman is an OG gravel grinder, and she's been super helpful in bouncing ideas off of. Um, but uh, it's it, there. There is still friendly competition in terms of uh, trying to get the deals from certain sponsors and stuff like it. But it's friendly competition, you know. So do you still have the time or the patience for it, the passion for it? Do you still watch road cycling? I do. Yeah, I still got enough friends in the Peloton. I, I watched uh, Dombro win the Giro this morning, which was awesome. Um, I I check in with uh, Richie a little bit, Bauka quite a bit. Bauka and I were very close friends. Uh, Kiel, Alex Howes, obviously, Kiel Reinen at Trek. Um so I, I get a little bit of the intel, but I, it's not like I'm rushing to see it every morning. But I do, you know, if if one of my subscriptions like NBC Sports or GCN has the race on and I'm not inundated with something, I definitely tune in. Um, I'm not really scrolling the whole results list anymore um, or following kind of like the transfers. Um, but I'm still invested. I still care. So. And uh, do you think, like, I mean, we, we touched on your, on your terrible crash there. Do you think security has improved since then? Things are gotten better. Did they get a lot no. better or not better at all? Well, what's your point there, your point of view? I, I don't think it's gotten better. I think, um, you know, I, my, my crash kicked off a whole host of efforts to to fix the sport and to make uh more rules for race organizers um because when when my crash happened you know we my my agent kind of did some digging in and and the north american riders union tried to help and they basically found out that um while while the uci could fine us riders for taking a pee at the wrong moment or sock height with the organizers it was just suggestions because that way they're not liable. So the UCI wasn't liable for kind of how my crash had happened. 
they could just kind of go to Pais Vasco and be like, hey, that wasn't very good. We're going to look at you closer next time. And, and everyone was really pissed about it. And it kind of, but then after a year, you know, after anything that's really hot online, it, it kind of disappears. And then the Fabio Jacobson thing happens. And then it was another issue like that. And everyone talks about it, but, and, and so you're starting to see some moves, but at the same time, I mean, you're seeing career ending crashes every season. I mean, Evenepoel broke his pelvis or back. Um, so I honestly, I don't see road race getting, I think road racing is, is just as dangerous or maybe more dangerous right now. Well, um, Pete, thank you very much for joining us today. Um, you know, have have a cold sixer on me. You know, I know that you were always a big fan of beer. You, uh, what was the name oh, yeah. of that world famous beer that you said was the best beer on the planet? Uh, was it uh, uh, Piney the Pliny. Pliny. Pliny? Pliny the Younger. Yeah, is that still yes. around? Is that still uh, your favorite beer? Oh, it's not my favorite anymore, but it is like, it's, it's like comfort food. That is, for those of you who don't know, um, there's a brewery in Santa Rosa where I live called Russian River, and they have a double IPA called Pliny the Elder, and it is, it, it kind of set the tone for what this whole IPA thing is nowadays. Um, it was kind of the OG, and it is still a cult following, um, and it's, it's, it's easier to find now, but it's still definitely a West Coast heavy thing. Um, if you're ever on the West Coast, especially NorCal, look for Pliny the Elder. And then every year for just two weeks, they do Pliny the Younger, which is a triple IPA with only like the freshest locally grown ingredients. You can only get it at the source, eight hour wait lines to get in. Uh, it's huge. It's, it's a thing. Um, but uh, craft beer has exploded so much since that Pliny is... It, it's still a thing, but it's definitely kind of been been left on the side. But it is an amazing beer. And actually, for tour of California, when all the teammates would come, all the Europeans would come over, I would get growlers of Pliny filled, and my wife would bring it to the final stage. And I'd be like, "All right, guys, like, congrats on finishing the race. This is what a real IPA tastes like." <laughs> and a lot of a lot of the Europeans would like they'd take they'd take two sips and be like. Hmm. Okay. Where's my Belgian ale? But <laughs> it's amazing. It's it's one of the best beers. So, so so Pete, um, I also understand now you are joining the Yenzi and I in this crazy podcast world, and you have a new podcast starting up yeah. here uh, called The Draft. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. I just like you guys. I'm just trying to follow in your footsteps. I got my own podcast now. <laughs> And is this a uh, beer podcast, a cycling the, podcast? Yeah. I mean, cycling and beer are kind yeah, of synonymous. Sorry. So um, what, what, what sort of topics are you guys ta tackling in your new podcast? That's exactly it. Um, you know, I realized, yes, drafting as in on a bike or drafting as in pulling on that, that draft, cold draft beer. Um, it is, I, I just realized that for some silly reason, um, I know a ton of head brewers and winemakers and chefs that all are crazy about bikes. There's that connection there. Like you guys said, there's something about beer and bikes. Um, so it's, I just decided to kind of explore it a little bit um, and just basically interview my friends. <laughs> so um, it's uh, every episode 
there's kind of that icebreaker moment where it's just, you know, sitting down with a cold one of whatever my guest is into, whether they've made it themselves or it's something that has a personal story and kicking back. And um, it's, it's just realizing that the bike is that tool for connection. But then I'm talking to these people who are masters in this whole other world. So uh, we, we talk bikes, but we also talk about how they found their way into the craft beer movement or becoming a, a chef who rides. Um, and it's, it's niche. It's not going to be for everyone. It's literally just beer and things craft, or sorry, bikes and things craft, but um, it's not sponsored. Maybe it will be someday, but it's, it's just some fun conversations. So if you've got to search draft Stetna, because if you just look at draft, it's going to be all NFL pro sport draft, right? Like draft <laughs> NBA analysis. So just draft Stetna, Apple, Spotify, Amazon. Um, the first episode is out, out now. Uh, the second episode is dropping next week. Um, it just, well, if you have any sampler packs or, you know, need any, um, third party opinion, um, I'll, I'll drop mm -hmm. you my, uh, my, uh, my address. <laughs> and I, I know Mark over in the UK, our producer would like that. Yenzi, uh, Yenzi doesn't like beer. Yenzi's kind of a, a water. He's a Heineken man. We'll, we'll change him. It's fine. Yeah. He, he likes Corona. Uh, yes, I do actually. Um, no, but uh, yeah, I, I actually think I have been growing up with that uh, German beer mentality. You know, we have that German beer law made in the year 1516. The German beer is only allowed to have four ingredients. So you can, of yeah. course, only create a limited amount of different variations with only four ingredients. That's why... I've been trained and lived all my year with German beers, but I'm open-minded and I do try every now and then I try a different beer. Yes, of course. So, hey, bring it on. Yeah. I will try. Well, when you guys do come to the some gravel race that I'm at and I'm going to uh, maybe get like the, the beer sponsor on the podcast, I'll make sure you guys can sit in the background and you can open up that beer and and follow along. Get, get enlightened. Don't, don't make us work too hard, though. <laughs> Open the beer. Holy smokes, so much work. <laughs> all righty, Peter. It was so great to catch up, first of all, to see you find your place and happiness. And thanks for joining Thank us. It was, as I said, great to catch up, reconnect. And I will keep a close eye on your career and, and uh, on your next adventure. So thanks a million for joining us and giving us a chance to ask you a few questions. Thanks for being our guest, Peter. Thanks, guys. It was really good to reconnect with both you guys. And uh, hell, I hope we can have a beer at a, a gravel race in the near future. Okay, everyone. Now we are at the hashtag Shut Up Legs Rider of the Week Award. Um, it was going to be difficult until it become, became suddenly easy for me. So we watched stage four of the Giro today and Joe Dombrowski won the stage. So for me, that made things very, very simple. It would have been very difficult to, to choose a, another one because there were some great performances. But um, yeah, Joe, what a, uh, what a talent. You know, he won the baby Giro. Uh, he signed for Team Sky. He was there for a couple years, maybe not the right fit as far as uh, mentality goes moved over to um, Jonathan Vodder's organization for a while and is now on UAE Emirates. And wow, on a miserable day, which I did not even fathom thinking how much pain those guys and suffering those guys were going through today, 
he comes out with uh, with a great stage win in in almost the pink jersey. So, Joe Dombrowski, you are my hashtag Shut Up Legs Rider of the Week. Shut Up Legs Rider of the Week. Easy choice for me. Taco Vanderhorn. Being in the break all day. Basically looking at a 5 to maximum 10% chance of making the breakaway on the third stage of this year's Giro Italia. He was in the very first move. He actually initiated the move right off the rear of the race director's car, straight into the brake. Worked out there all day long, worked with his compatriots off the brake, dropped them one by one, hanging on the last climb to his fellow rider, then dropping him on the flats, taking the stage. And what I especially liked about him, he could almost hear them breathing at his neck. He never looked back once. Reminded me a little bit about myself. Just don't look back, never hesitate. And he just drove it all the way and in an impressive style won that stage. So he gets my Shutter Black's reward or award of the week, plus a little bonus because his parents named him Taco. Which parents <laughs> named their kid Taco? What were they thinking? But he's a brilliant writer, character, style, panache. And he was resilient to the conditions. Fantastic ride. He is my rider of the week. You hit the nail on the head there, Yenzi, about his name, because I was, I didn't watch that stage live, but a, uh, a friend of mine out in Tucson, Chris Davenport, I said, hey, can you pull it up on your phone? And he said, Taco won. And I thought he was kidding. I, I Taco, what a great name. I love it. Great job, Taco. But uh, Joe Dom, Two thumbs up. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. And a huge thanks to Pete for being our guest. Thanks for listening. Please give us a five-star review and share us with your friends. The show was a Velo News production in association with Shock Giraffe. The producer was Mark Payne. And this episode was edited by Tim Mosa. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram, please at Bobby and Jens and share your cycling stories with us.